0: Our reading on page 1234, Revelation chapter 2, starting at verse 18. Page 1234. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write These are the words of the Son of God and I will repay each one according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Revelation, we're on letter number four. And you remember we said at the beginning that um, there are seven letters and um, for the Jewish people, the number seven was a perfect number. So there is this idea that these these seven letters, although they were written so long ago, they are letters um, which are for all churches, for all time. So there is a, a real sense in which we come with expectancy, asking God to speak to us through his word, through this letter that we're reading this evening. So let's just pray together. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord, we want to ask you uh, this evening that you would speak to us. Lord, we've come to listen. Please, by your Spirit, speak into our lives today, into our hearts, into our minds. As we gather as your people, as we humble ourselves before your word, we ask that we might hear you speaking to us. Lord, give us a word of encouragement, a word of challenge, Whatever, Lord, we need to hear this evening, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray and for his glory. Amen. Uh Aha, it's not working. Sorry, slight technical problem here. Yes, there we are, good. I wonder what your postcode is. Postcodes seem to matter today, don't they, more than ever. Because if you've got the right postcode, you can get your kids into the school of your choosing. Your postcode can determine whether you get a good deal on your insurance. It can even dictate the kind of health care you can access, or even the social package of social care that you can get. Now, the postcode of those belonging to the church in Thyatira was not as desirable as those people living in places like Ephesus and Pergamum, the letters that we've already considered a few weeks ago. The letter to the church at Thyatira had a postcode that not many people aspired to owning. One Roman historian described Thyatira as a city without honour. Thyatira was just an ordinary place. Nothing spectacular to report about its importance or its trade. No particular religious uh, or cultural building that marked it out as a place of interest. It was a kind of place that you'd drive through to get to somewhere else. It's the least known city and yet it receives the longest letter of the seven letters. But we know what is ordinary to us is of a great importance to Jesus. A small church in an unimportant town is just as important as a mega church in a big city, as far as God is concerned. The very places and the people that we are so quick to write off are the ones whom God takes a particular interest in. So what does this letter to the church in Thyatira contain for us this evening? Well, I've got three points for you if they're helpful as we look at this passage together. Every church needs to be upward-looking. Every church needs to be inwardly discerning. And every church needs to be outwardly discerning. Focus. So first of all, every church needs to be upward looking. And I'll let you look at that cartoon, otherwise it might distract you. <laughs> Verses 18 to 19. So this letter opens with some startling words. Look in verse 18. These are the words of the Son of God. In fact, this is the only letter which uses the title Son of God. And it's the only place in the whole book of Revelation which describes Jesus as the Son of God. So that in itself is enough to make you sit up and listen, isn't it? And this Son of God is concerned for every church, including ours. So what is this Son of God like? Well, we've got in this letter, at the beginning of this letter, we've got two of the attributes from the vision in chapter 1. Do you remember in chapter 1, we read it a few Sundays ago, we read that vision that the Apostle John had of Jesus when he was on prison in the Isle of Patmos. Look in verse 18, it describes Jesus as the one whose eyes are blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Have you ever met anyone with piercing eyes? Eyes that feel like they can look straight through you. Of course they can't, but sometimes a piercing look can make us feel quite uncomfortable. Jesus is described here as one whose eyes are like blazing fire. These are eyes which see everything. And the blazing eyes depict both his anger at sin and his penetration into the motives of our hearts. Do you remember as a child using a magnifying glass to catch the sunlight, to catch a ray of sunlight, then burning a hole? Did anyone do that? Good, a few people did that. And burning a hole in a piece of paper. That's what these eyes are like. They are able to burn through all the pretense, all the falsehood. They can reveal what's really in our hearts. And as you read through the Bible, there are different places where it talks about Jesus looking at people. Do you remember when the rich young ruler um, came to Jesus and asked him what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Mark's Gospel records how Jesus looked at him and loved him. The gaze of Jesus, it must have been something that once you've seen it, you never forget. But not, not only is Jesus described as having burning, eyes like burning fire, he has feet like burnished bronze. And of course, the brass stands for strength. This is the immovable son of God. He's the risen son who's completed the work given to him by the Father. He's head of the church, now exalted in heaven. So with that introduction, we know that the words that Jesus are giving are important to us and worth listening to. So let's see what his words are to the church. He says, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance. And now you are doing more than you did at first. So the first thing he has to say are words of encouragement. Jesus looked at the church and he's seen much that he's pleased with. In particular, he identifies four qualities in the life of these Christians. As he looks at their Christian service, he sees their love, their faith, their perseverance, and the and the increase in their lives. Let's look at each of these. And it's interesting that the love that Jesus speaks of here is the word agape. It's the Greek word for love, which is usually described um, for the love of Jesus. But here we see that word is used um, in the self-giving love among the Christians in the church. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, how, how amazing would it be that someone would say that our love for one another is like that agape love of Jesus, that self-giving love of Jesus. So there were things to commend this church for, unlike the church at Ephesus, who'd lost their first love. This church very much were a, a loving family, church family. And I thank God for the love I see here at St. Stephen's, love that is expressed as people support one another. But let's go deeper. Let's not just be satisfied with what we have. Secondly, there's faith. Jesus sees their faith and he commends them for it. In Hebrews, we read that faith is a confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It involves a submission to Jesus as Lord. It's a determination in the church not to follow our own programs, but to seek what the Lord wants us to do. And yet again, I thank God as I look here at the church at St. Stephen's. We've just been here for two months. It feels like two years, in a good way. In a good way, I must say. And I see, you know, that there's that willingness for people to submit to Christ's Lordship, to submit to God's word, to seek his glory. So let's not become self-satisfied. Let's go deeper as a church family. Thirdly, we see the quality of their perseverance, their patient endurance, the commitment to keep going when life gets tough. Again, we can see here at St. Stephen's, a perseverance and a faithfulness over a testing time. But again, let's not be uh, self-content with that. Let's go deeper as we seek to stay steady and persevere in our faith together. Fourthly, the church in Thyatira is commended that they are doing more now than they were at first. And for most of us, um, as Christians, uh, what we do for Christ is hidden uh, from others. And it may be this evening you feel a bit discouraged because what you do doesn't seem to be appreciated. But can I say how much I appreciate and value what people do in this church? And we need to keep encouraging one another. But notice here that they are doing more than they did at first. So again, let's not be self-satisfied. Let's strive to serve him more. Let's go deeper in our acts of service. Acts motivated by by love, full of faithfulness and driven by hope. Let's keep looking up to Jesus, the one who sees, who speaks words of encouragement. But is this report full of good news or are there some more challenging things that Jesus has to say? Well, next we see that every church needs to be inwardly discerning. Verses 20 to 24. And we've heard how Jesus' piercing gaze led to words of encouragement. But in these next verses, the tone changes as his piercing gaze reveals something else. Look in verse 20. He says, Nevertheless, I have this wo- I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel. Now it's unlikely that this person's name was actually. Jezebel. It's more likely it's being used symbolically, because we know that Jezebel, of course, was King Ahab's wife, King Ahab from the Old Testament. And Ahab became king of Israel, but it was written of him this, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. And he also married Jezebel and began to serve Baal and worship him. So Jezebel influenced a king to compromise his faith. And it appears that is why this woman has earned the name Jezebel. Look in verse 20, it says, you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. And self-appointed leaders are always a concern in any context. When there are self-appointed prophets in the church, then warning bells should start, start to ring. And what was the particular concern? Look again in verse 20. It says, By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. She was seducing others into immoral conduct and eating meat that had been offered to idols. Furthermore, she's also accused of teaching them something more sinister. Look in verse 24. It says, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching, and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secret. It seems like her followers had, had thought that they'd entered in some, into some kind of deep secrets of Satan but, uh, through her instruction. And what does Jesus think about her? Well, he, he condemns his teaching, um, but we see in verse 21 that he gives her an opportunity to repent to turn around, to change. He says, I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. And then some strong words. If she fails to return back to the Lord, we see that the punishment is outlined in verse 22. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Again, I don't think it's literally talking about striking her children dead. I think it's it's talking about her followers, those that adhere to her teaching. The outcome of of her false teaching is that she and her followers will suffer illnesses and her influence will come to an end, a disturbing end for this self-styled prophet. But can you see that where the church is strong here, they seem to have a corresponding weakness as well? They're strong on loving others, but weak on dealing with false teaching. And sometimes, as a church, we're afraid to confront false teaching because we want to be seen as people that love everyone. And we're bombarded in our society with the idea that we must be tolerant of everyone. But listen to what John Stott says. He says, Tolerance is not a virtue if it is evil that is being tolerated. I'll read that again. Tolerance is not a virtue if it is evil that is being tolerated. Last week, we saw that the problem in the church at Pergamum was that Satan was using the pressures of the world to squeeze them into his his own mould. But here in Thyatira, the poison was within. One writer says this, Where a church is known for its love and growth, Satan knows that he can do more damage, not by pressure from without, but from poison from within. But you might be thinking, why was it that her teaching received so much traction from the church or people within the church? Well, Thyatira was famous for one thing, archaeologists um, have discovered there's lots of inscriptions which reveal that there were lots of trade guilds in this particular city. We've made mention of these in previous weeks, but it seems in particular in this place there's lots of evidence for them. There there were, for example, trade guilds for bakers, for weavers, for tanners, for dyers, for potters. And you may remember um, in the Book of Acts a mention of um, Lydia, the lady who sold purple cloth. Paul had gone down to the river to meet the Jews, but had instead met a woman called Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. And in Acts Acts chapter 16, verse 14, it mentions she actually comes from Thyatira. So it may be that after she came to faith in Jesus, she returned to her home city and started a church. We got no evidence that that actually happened. It's a nice idea, though, that that's perhaps what did happen. But you see, if you wanted to succeed in business, you had to join a trade guild. But the problem for Christians was that you're expected to attend um, their gatherings, which were held in pagan temples. And these gatherings involved sacrificing meat to idols and were usually followed by some kind of sexual orgy. And to decline the offer to attend and engage in their activities meant that you could get the cold shoulder from other tradesmen and that your business would suffer. And it appears that Jezebel, this woman who's been called Jezebel, taught that as a Christian, actually, you can do what you like, that what you did with your body did not affect your spiritual life. So what was a Christian to do? If they did not conform, they could be out of the job. But Jezebel's teaching gave them a way to keep their job and remain a Christian. And although we may no longer have trade girls who hold events in in temples, but we still may face similar dilemmas today. And one writer has said, every generation has to ask the question, how far should I accept and adapt to contemporary standards and practice? A question perhaps even more relevant and pertinent to us as our our society moves away from Christian values. So if growing my business involves corporate hospitality, for example, then how am I going to engage with others which maintains my Christian integrity? And each individual needs to find the answer to that, what their Christian response should be. And we in the church need to be praying for each other, particularly those who are in business, perhaps more than any others, because they're more prone to these challenges. So we see that Jezebel's followers had so readily compromised that they'd lost sight of what it meant to be a Christian. But what about those who didn't compromise? What words did Jesus have to say to the rest of the church? We see mm-hmm. so, we see that every church needs to be outwardly focused. Verses twenty-five to twenty-eight, my final point. Now there's a message and one final message from the Son of God for those who didn't compromise, from the one who searches the hearts, hearts, and minds of everyone. And it's surprisingly simple. Look in verse twenty five. It says, where well, Jesus says, Hold on to what you have until I come. Hold on to what you have until I come. So if you've experienced and understood that Jesus died for your sin, that he died in your place and you've put your faith in him, you've come to him in faith and repentance and you recognize um, that 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 call means that we give our allegiance to him as Lord and that he calls us to love and serve one another, then he's saying, hold on to that. There's nothing else you need to add. There's no other burden that Jesus gives us. We are told to take a firm grip of what we have And we are told to persevere and do God's will to the end. And as we do that, there are two promises to take away with us in the passage. First, first of all, in verse 26, there's a promise that we will become the missionary church that God intends us to be. Let's look at verse 26. It says, To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations, That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. Well, this is actually a quote from Psalm 2. And if you might want to read Psalm 2 later, and it's one of the Psalms, a prophetic Psalms that speaks of Jesus. And in very prophetic language, we, 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 we overhear, what the Son reports that the Father has told him. So Jesus is saying, ask me, this is from Psalm 2, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. He is saying, your inheritance will be the lost. I will give you men and women from every faith group in the world. They will turn to worship the Son. And at the end of Luke's Gospel, Jesus passes this commission on to the disciples. He says, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. So the first promise to those who hold on to what's been given them is that they will be the kind of church that God wants them to be, a missionary church, reaching out to the nations. How pertinent is is that for us in this parish where we have people from all over the world living on our doorstep? And secondly, he promises that we are not left alone. Look in verse 28. It says, I will also give that one, the one who holds on, I will give that one the morning star. So who is the morning or what is the morning star? Well, if we were to go on in Revelation to the end of the book, to chapter 22 and verse 16, we read that Jesus says, I am the morning star. So the promise to those who hold on is that they will become the kind of church that Jesus intends us to be and that we will know that he is with us. His presence is with us. He is the morning star that's with us to the very end of the age. So we are called to be a church that looks upward as we gaze on the risen Jesus. We are strengthened and envisioned. We are called to be inwardly discerning as we take stock of how far we've come. We are to recognise what we do well and where we need to challenge false teaching, where we need to grow in our faith. And finally, we are called to be outwardly focused, to be a missionary church that he's called us to be and to remember that he is with us always. Amen. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for these letters. And thank you, Lord, that by your spirit you speak to us. And I just pray, Lord, that whatever word it is that you have for us as individuals and as as a a, a body of your people, Lord, that you plant that deep in our minds and our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be a church that looks up to you, that owns you as our Lord. Help us to be a church to look inwardly as well and and, and are discerning and are careful about what we do, how we behave, who seek to care for one another, support and encourage one another, and help us, Lord, to be outwardly focused, to serve our community, to be bold in our you know, witness in sharing Jesus. And so, Lord, we just thank you for this, this letter. And please be with us now as we continue to remember your death for us.